Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let me start by playing back for you the interview that recorded yesterday with the Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith. It's a two-parter. First one deals with her thoughts about Prime Minister Brian Mulroney's passing, and then the direction for the province of Alberta. Here's the Premier. Well, I was very young when he was in office, but he was a figure around our dining room table because my, my dad always praised him, first and foremost, for ending the National Energy Program, which was so devastating to our province, but also credited him with uh, bringing down inflation and interest rates as well. My parents went through that time where mortgage rates went up to 20%. And so he he really felt like, uh, like Mulroney was the architect of getting us back to some measure of fiscal sanity. Uh, I personally got involved in, in politics around that time. He was still leader, and he was one of the main reasons why I decided to join the, the Campus Club for the Progressive Conservatives. And I got a, a chance to meet him through that at a at leader's dinner. He, he and Mila were both working the room, and I, I was very fortunate to be able to, to shake hands with him. I, I had a couple of conversations with him uh, over the years, and I, I just always found that he, he seemed to have a lot of time for people and was uh, always always ready to give advice. So I, I think he's going to be very missed. I think he's a, he's just been such a, an incredible figure in Canadian history. Yeah. Very uh, personable and generous man. Uh, personally, I, uh, I had arranged, shall we say uh, a live one-on-one interview with, with him when he was prime minister and he was down to 12% in the polls at that time. And, uh, they didn't want to give me the interview, but let's just say I engineered it. You were in radio. You have a good idea of what I'm talking about. So we had we had a one-on-one interview in, at L'Hotel in Toronto where the party convention had just ended. And it took me a few minutes. We I, I got into the room. He was there. got up, shook my hand. He was just chatting like we'd been friends for 30 years. And it took me a few minutes to realize I wasn't there for a social call. I was there to interrogate him. But he just he just had this... This this really uh, positive attitude about him. I just personally like the man. Yeah, he. Um, I remember he called my producer, and she recognized his voice immediately because <laughs> he did just have quite a distinctive voice. And you know, that's what I've heard about him is that he he was always uh, very kind to to, to people who uh, who who weren't even at his. Uh, level of achievement in politics. He was nice and friendly to uh, to every person that he met. And I, I think that probably did him well in, in history. He, he may have had a, a couple of difficult times in those final years. He uh, didn't get the Meech Lake Accord passed, didn't get the Charlottetown Accord passed, had a controversial defense contract that went to Quebec instead of Montreal, or instead of uh, Winnipeg, and ended up as well I think with the GSD, probably the right decision you know, to make us competitive with the with the uh, Americans after signing the free trade agreement. But uh, on the balance of things, people people uh, I think because we weren't able to keep the country united, keep those interests of Alberta and Quebec in, in sync, even though he, he he dearly tried. I think unfortunately that that um, must have been one of those things that he he wished he'd been able to solve. Yeah, Premier, you mentioned uh, that he. Um, did away with the National Energy Program, which was delivered by the current Prime Minister's father. Uh, what were some of the other major significant initiatives that he undertook that affected Western Canada? I would say that that was probably the, the most significant. Um, but one of, one of the things I found so interesting about him as a 
a prime minister from Quebec is that, that I think he had uh, an equal interest in in the West as as well as from Quebec. That doesn't always happen, and I it's it's very rare when you when you think after him how few uh, conservative politicians have been able to to get get a toehold in Quebec after the creation of the Bloc Québécois. So I, I think that that's a very unique talent that he had in understanding that Alberta and and Quebec's interests were actually very much aligned. That the, the problem was an overbearing central government trying to do too much in areas where it shouldn't and respecting provincial rights. I mean, in, in many ways, if if he had had, had the, the first approach with the Minch Lake Accord, I think we'd probably have a much happier federation right now. Because I, I think he really understood that balance a lot better than, than some of his successors has. I was talking to somebody earlier in the week, and they were telling me they think the GST was maybe his most positive contribution to Canada, and I can remember sitting in the in the studio with Michael Wilson, his finance minister, and we were trying to figure out what the GST was. He couldn't tell me, and we were we were doing the donuts thing. You may remember the story. Do you do you put the GST on six donuts if they're in a package, or does it go on one donut if you buy a donut individually? That's the that's the level to which we were reduced, and it turned into a ludicrous discussion. But what what do you what what GST? What do you think? Well, what do you think of that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I want to, I want to raise that topic again. Albertans would not agree with you on that one. I can tell you what, one of the lasting legacies was a piece of legislation passed in Alberta saying that there would never be a sales tax unless it was put to a referendum. So I would say that the, that it was incredibly unpopular, probably fueled the rise of the of the Reform Party. And I think it, I don't think that history has been any kinder to it. If you remember as well, Jean Chrétien won an election saying he was going to eliminate the GST, ultimately didn't. And then when Stephen Harper came in, he reduced it by two percentage points. So it, it, it probably was a smart policy to replace a hidden tax, a manufacturer's tax, with a, a more transparent tax. But I, I don't think that there's any love. Okay. <laughs> like not well, I don't like it. I still GST. don't like it. I understand it now, but I still don't like it. Uh, his relationship with American presidents, what are your thoughts? I must say, coming into politics from the conservative movement, it was uh, it, uh, it, 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 he was one of three uh, conservative politicians of major stature at the time. If you look at Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, and I, th- I think that because that was a really unique time in history to be able to have those three political leaders in three was uh, three of the, of the strongest economy countries in the world able to be in sync on policy. And I, I think that the fact that we were able to get to a free trade agreement um, is is much to the the credit of that relationship. But you know, he also uh, broke ranks as well with the with UK and the US on a really important issue of a, of apartheid and fighting against uh, discrimination and racism in South Africa, for which he's been widely lauded and wi- and widely honoured. And I I think as well he 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 also advanced issues on the environment. Environment was very important to him, participating in UN conferences, but also. Uh, addressing issues of uh, sulfur dioxide emissions that uh, were causing acid rain. So I think that he uh, was he was able to advance conservative policies, but also be able to, to distinguish himself from from his much larger neighbors in, in some really important policy areas. Let me move on to the initiatives that you're undertaking in Alberta. And uh, you're limiting introduction of renewables, which will be built on farmlands and creating buffers for pristine landscapes. Your critics are worried. They always go to the critics, right? You're worried. uh, They're worried that you'll limit or stop private investment 
in renewables in the province. Can you talk to us about that, please? Well, it's not the case. I mean, when you look at what's happened in Ontario, they had a seven-year moratorium on wind and solar. I think they've just announced a call for 5,000 megawatts to come in on a, on a, a power purchase agreement. Uh, Manitoba just announced they wouldn't be uh, allowing um, the in, any independent uh, uh, renewable development. And I, I must say, we are we are the destination for private investment because we're the only province that allows it. <laughs> because we have we don't have a, a crown corporation that controls our, our power grid. So I think people need to look at it from that perspective, and also understand that. Uh, we just had a, a, a threat of a power outage in the middle of January because at five o'clock at night, when it was minus 35, there was no wind blowing and no sun shining. And as a result, we had to rely 100% on our intertides with our neighbors and natural gas. So when I look at, at wind and solar, I say, great, it can be a portion of our power grid. But I also need to make sure we bring on a responsible amount of wind and solar that has backup. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is that we've made mistakes in this province in not having enough clarity about who would pay when projects come to the end of their natural life. And there's a big reclamation cost. So we want to make sure that that is staged over time so that money is there. So landowners aren't left holding the bag. And we also know that um, we've seen around the world that there are there's litigation uh, against um, renewable against government for allowing renewable projects to take up prime agricultural land. So we, we, we don't want to find ourselves in those same positions. And so those are some of the guardrails that we've put in place. And I, I think we're going to continue to be the destination of choice for wind and solar. And a $200 electric vehicle tax introduced in your budget. That's gotten a lot of, uh, gotten a lot of tension, attention, maybe disproportionately, but talk to us about that, please. Well, uh, Saskatchewan does the same thing, and I think probably for the, the same calculation that we've done, is that if we're going to see an increasing amount of uh, zero-emission vehicles on the road, they have to they have to pay their fair share of uh, what it costs to keep our roads maintained, especially since they're heavier, and so they would uh, have exactly the same or greater impact. So we did a calculation of what the typical fuel tax would be for a typical vehicle that's using combustion engine vehicle, and that's what we've set the, the fee at. And so as the number of zero emission vehicles rises, that will um, have them paying their, their, their portion of the, of the road's cost. I think it's a pretty modest fee, quite frankly. And, and it makes sense for us to, to make sure that we have that parity now, just as the investment and purchases of those alternative vehicles are, are beginning to grow. On the Pharmacare issue, um, you agree that Mr. Trudeau desperately jumped on Jagmeet Singh's final offer to continue their coalition agreement by signing on to... Pharmacare. The Liberals, I don't think, wanted a national Pharmacare program at this time. And uh, you have said Alberta will not participate. Can you uh, can you fill us in, please? Well, it's not a national universal Pharmacare program. It's a two-drug plan. And I have to tell you, we've got seniors on our Pharmacare plan. We've got those who are disabled. We've got people on AISH. We've got our entire public service. And I, if I went to them and said, hey, we're going to cancel your plan, and we're only going to cover birth control and diabetes medication. Do you think that's a fair deal? You, you'd say you better believe not. I mean, this is the real problem is they're portraying it as something that it's not. A, a true national single-payer pharmacare program would cost $40 billion. And there is no point 
in doing something half-measured. If they want to come and assist us in expanding our current pharmacare program, which covers 5,000 different medications, so that more people are covered and we can make sure that everyone does have insurance, then then let's have that conversation. But don't try to to pretend to me that a two-drug plan is anything remotely close to what we're already offering in Alberta. It's insulting. You're calling uh, or asking for Mr. Trudeau to call an election. What are you getting back? Well, look, part of the reason for that is he, he flew into our province. His, one of his staff texted my chief of staff uh, hours before, and then uh, he does, does an announcement, slams my government, and then, and then flies out again. And, and the way I look at it is that is not cooperative federalism. That is not an appropriate way to be uh, engaging with the provincial government in their area of jurisdiction. He did the housing announcement without inviting my housing minister, without coordinating with us, without even telling us what was going on. And, and so it seems to me the only reason he staged that was so that he could criticize our province. And if that's what he's going to do, use this as a punching bag to try to win votes in the rest of the country, then, and if he's already in the middle of campaigning, then he should just call a campaign and get, get it over with so that we know either we'll be dealing with him for the next four years or, or we'll be dealing with, uh, with the uh, official opposition leader for the next four years. But, but trying to fight a proxy war with Alberta um, is not helpful when we have a lot of things that we need to solve. It's not very professional. And so that's what I'm saying. Either either come to the table, work with us in a spirit of collaboration, or call an election. Premier, let me, in a minute we have left, come back to your budget, and you're expecting a, a budget surplus this year. Not a huge budget surplus, but you're expecting a surplus. One of the things that I've uh, I've begun to see is that we've, we've been increasing spending at the rate of inflation and population growth. And the problem is that our revenues are not growing at the rate of inflation and population growth. So if we keep on doing this, it means that we're either setting ourselves up for borrowing and deficits uh, or over-reliance on our resource revenues, which I, which I would say we have right now. So um, I had to send um, the signal that we, we've got to do things differently in Alberta. We, we've got to start slowing the rate of increases. We have to keep increasing because we're having people continue to move to our province. We still need to build schools and hospitals. We still need to hire nurses and doctors. But but we can't keep growing at a rate of 6 or 7 or 8% per year. It's just, it's just not sustainable. So I'm asking Albertans to, um, to work with us to be more restrained and find better ways of delivering the services, but also so that we can put some money into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund and start growing that so that it's a true sovereign wealth fund. If we just kept the investment and committed the fund, it would grow to about $125 billion by 2050. If we added $2 billion per year, it could grow as high as $400 billion by, by 2050. And then some future government will have a secure supply of investment income to replace our reliance on, on resource revenues. So that's the, the vision I've put out for our people in Alberta to work with us to strive towards so that we can create that alternative revenue stream. It takes a little bit of time to get there, but we've got to hunker down and, and be a lot more restrained over a long period of time in order to be able to achieve that target. And uh, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this year goes. Um, I'm uh, very worried about the volatility in oil and gas prices, very worried about the, the potential if it goes too low of, of uh, putting us in a deficit position again. So we've got to take some measures now to make sure that doesn't happen. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green.
Have a great weekend. 